Welcome to Bible study. Glad you're here. Good to see everybody tonight. <laughs> Gonna start time in prayer. Yeah. Let's pray. Father, thanks for uh, just your presence. We thank you, God, for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your power. We thank you for revelation tonight. We ask that you'd open up your word and we pray for good understanding of what you want to say to us, what you want to teach us, how you want to challenge us. We pray that you would even change our minds, our hearts. Uh, change us somehow tonight. I pray that uh, we would come more into line with you, with how you would have us to be, with how you are and how you think, and we come more into line with your will and your purposes for our lives. So, God, we ask you that you would be here in power. We pray that we would be receptive to you, receptive to your Holy Spirit. We ask that you lead us, you guide us, and you speak to us. Give us ears to hear. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you need a Bible, you can grab one off a table. Uh, we have them available for you to use during Bible study. You can feel free to uh, pick one up and use it. If you need a Bible, also feel free to take it. Uh, we get Bibles to give away, so we'd love for you to have that. I'm going to open up to Genesis 46. We're going to continue the story we've been looking at the last few weeks. Uh, while we're doing that, just as a quick reminder, if you'd like to participate in Bible study, uh, we have a, a way for you to do that. It's through a website, www.speakpipe.com, S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E.com, slash Monday Night Bible Study. That'd be all one word. And you can uh, toggle a button there and leave us a message. We'd love to hear from you. Question, comment. Something good God's doing, whatever you want to leave, just say hi. That'd be great. We'd love to hear from you and encourage you to participate in that. Genesis 46.3. Anybody? All right. Thanks for reading that. Now, I want to just start this up. I'm going to give this away from the very beginning. I'm just going to give it away. So I'm going to tell you what my first thought was when I read this verse, because I remember what it was because I wrote it down. I read this verse, and I had one thought after this verse. Anybody want to tell me, did any of you have one thought after this verse? It may be the same as mine was. What would be your one thought after reading that verse? He's already met God. Okay. What else? What's Darth Vader? Oh, okay. Excellent. Yes. Anybody else? I'm I'm kind of fishing for an answer, but it was just, I don't know why it occurred to me, but I read this verse. This verse is so hopeful. I am God, the God of your fathers. Do not be afraid. I will make you a great nation. I will go with you. All of these things happen. I'm going to make you a great nation in Egypt. They were in slavery in Egypt. I want you to think about that for a second. That's the first thought I had, is that he, he didn't say that part, okay? Because what he was telling them was all these great things that were going to happen, and this was surely part of his will for their lives. I, I want to make that clear. And I'm not, I'm not naysaying that. I'm not saying there's anything bad going on with what he's saying. But the fact of the matter was that they were going to go to Egypt, all right? And, and Jacob had his hesitations about going. 
He, he, he waited. He, he, he needed reassurance. If you look at the context of what this verse is, what you would find is that he had stopped in order to make some sacrifices. And he was really just seeking God for some reassurance that this is really what he was supposed to do. Because he wasn't that sure about it. He wasn't that convinced that this is what God had for him. He was a little bit concerned about it, actually. Thank you. And so, because he was concerned about it, he was waiting on God, he said, all right, well, is this really what you want us to do? Well, centuries later, he, you find this small group of people that had made it to Egypt, had become a great nation, just like God said they would. But what wasn't said there is that they'd become a great nation of slaves. And so I want you to just keep that in mind. I just gave the whole thing away, all right, where I'm heading with this. But I wanted to start there. I wanted to start at the, just tell you, that's the, that's the punchline. That's the end of it. Because that's where they're heading. And, and that's what's going to happen to them. And we know that because you can just read it. It's there. We've heard this story before. We know what happens to them in Egypt. But at this point, they don't know. And that's really the point of life, isn't it? Like it, part of the things that, that go with just being alive is that most of the time we don't know. Most of the time we're seeking God. Most of the time we're asking and saying, oh, well, what should we do? Hopefully. And we might get some direction, but then we want some kind of reassurance once you get direction. Isn't this the process that people usually go through? You know, we've taken one obscure story in the book of Judges, and we now have a whole books written on how to uh, put out the fleece for the Lord, right? So, because, because we like that. We like reassurance. We like to know for sure. Well, here's a, little, here's a little tidbit for you on reassurance. Jacob wanted, Israel wanted reassurance, and that's why he stopped on the way. He wanted reassurance. God, is this really you? Yeah, this is really me. He put out sacrifices. He, he, he did what he needed to do. God spoke to him. God revealed himself to him. He's the God who reveals himself, miraculously reveals himself to him. All right? Powerful. And assures him this is what he has for him. And so he leads his family there. And after a couple centuries, everything God said came to pass. And, and what additionally, as a bonus, everybody was a slave. And so what I want to share with you is this. You think you want the reassurance because that's going to make you feel better? I'm sure it made him feel better too. Right? But it doesn't always tell you the whole story. And if your goal in life is to make your life as easy as possible, following after the will of God just may not be the thing you're going to do. All right? And, and I'm, I'm serious about that. Because you can get reassurance that, oh, this is the will of God. Yes, it is. Does that mean your life's going to be easy and everything's going to always go your way? No. Does that mean you're always going to win? No. Does that mean you're always going to be the best? No. Everyone's going to like you. Surely, if you're doing the will of God, everyone will like you. You know, like Jesus, when they, when they arrested him and killed him, like Jesus, yeah. He was doing the will of the Father. How about the apostles that came after him? They all died horrible deaths. 
from doing the will of God. What am I trying to say through this? Is this, is that don't equate those things. You begin to equate those things, and what happens is you just judge God all over the place. Your whole life becomes a constant judgment of God. Well, this must not have been the Lord. Really? How do you know that? How do you know? Because you tried something and it was hard? Must not have been Jesus. Um... I don't know that you can come to that conclusion. There is a human thing that we equate those kind of things together, and we need to stop it. What was really, what, what was, and, and think about this, what was Israel really asking for reassurance of? Yeah, it's the will of the Father, right. But what was he really afraid of? Of this. Of this. He was afraid of all of these things happening to his family and all of these things taking place and all of these things coming to pass. He was afraid of those things. And so when he was asking, is this the Father's will? Oh, yeah, yeah, this is my will and this is what I'm going to do for you. Oh, good. Whew. <laughs> Except for, yeah, they're going to be slaves and they're going to be ruled over harshly by the Egyptians. And they're going to build big, weird buildings and stuff. That's what they're going to do. So we need to begin to rethink what it is we're really asking and why we're asking it. Because when, when God begins to speak here to Israel, he starts off by saying, I'm God. And there's a word used there for God, El, that uh, he's the true God. He's the strong God. He's the God who manifests himself. Because there are lots of little gods if you don't know this in our world, lots of them. There's lots of little gods, little G's, little gods that are running around out there that people serve and that people believe in and that people want to be big G, but they're not big G, they're little G. And so because they, they, they want so bad to be big G, they'll, they'll excuse certain things that little G does because they, they want to they follow after little G. Well, why? Well, you usually control little G. You don't have to worry about that. And you can usually kind of mold little G into your image. And you can make little G into what you want him to be instead of what he really is and who he really is and, and, and really how he chooses to manifest himself. And it's people that makes us uncomfortable. We've always wanted God made in our image. Always. Every one of us that has ever existed, never lived, except for Jesus, Every one of us has wanted God made in our image. Whether we admit that, understand exactly what that means, but we have done certain things in our life that will show that to be the case over time. And the fact of the matter is, he's never going to be made in our image unless we make him up, and we will always be made in his image. And there's nothing we can do about it. That's the way it is. That's the truth. And so, all right, so we got the truth. We're made in his image. So turn that around and begin to understand our world through that lens. So Jacob, Israel, he's worried, he's concerned, he doesn't know, he wants reassurance, he stopped, he made some sacrifices, God speaks to him, reveals himself, a supernatural manifestation of God right to him just for this moment. And he says, I am God. And I'm the God of your fathers. In other words, 
I'm faithful. Your fathers trusted me. Your fathers believed in me. Abraham and Isaac, they believed in me. And I was good to them and I took care of them. I am the God of your fathers. In other words, I'm faithful and I've proven myself faithful to you and your family. That's what he tells them. So we've got, this is the beginning. This is the preamble of what God's going to say to him. Because he wants some reassurance. He wants to know that this is what's best, that this is God's will. And this is how he begins to answer him. He's like, I'm God and I'm faithful. There you go. And that's reassurance. I'm God and I'm faithful. So in other words, I've brought you here and this is my will. This is the will of God. All right, good. That's what he needed to know, right? Well, there's more. Because what I say before, that's really not what he wanted to know. Okay? He wanted to know things were going to be okay. He wanted to know things were going to go all right for his family. He wanted to know things were going to go all right for his wives and his kids and, his, and, and all the rest and his grandchildren. That's what he really wanted to know. They were going to be safe and it was going to be good. Because do you see what I'm saying? There's a difference between the will of God and, and that. Maybe not in your head, but there needs to be. There needs to be a difference between those two things. Because I'm sure Peter's mom wanted the best for him for the rest of his life, but the will of God was that he was to die for his faith in Christ. I'm sure Peter's wife wanted the best for him. And, and you know, are you sure this is the will of God? Oh, good. Yeah, except for he went and he was killed for it. Right? And so those two things don't equate all the time. And we can't make them equate because we, we can't decide God's will as being whatever we want it to be. That's us making him in our image of what we would do. That's not allowed. Not for Big G. And so we find ourselves in his image. And so we have some kind of an understanding of who he is based on who we are, in a sense. We don't define him. He defines us. We have understanding of him because of where we came from. And so understanding that is to understand that, all right, he is faithful. He is God. In other words, he's the true God. He's the God of revelation. He's the God who manifests himself in our life. He's the God who takes an interest in us. He's the God that is revealing his will into our lives. Powerful. All right. So he says to him, here's the, here's the order of things he says. Don't be afraid. You know, when, when uh, Jacob heard that his son, Joseph, was alive, if you go back and you read what, he's, what happened, he first heard he was alive. He didn't believe it because he had been dead so long in his mind. And his sons had lied to him. And I'm sure he had a hard time believing that, too, that they would maintain a lie like that for all those years. Okay, so, so a couple shockers right there. But then eventually... He believes it. He's like, oh, all right, so my son Joseph is alive. Let's get up and let's go right now and go see him. That was his first reaction. Going to go see him. All right, second thoughts. Okay, so first thought was a good thought, right? Think, all right, so that was the good thought. I'm going to go see him right now. Pack up everything. Let's go. They're going to pull a Beverly Hillbillies. 
and they're going to pack up the truck, and they're going to move out to Beverly Hills from where they were in Tennessee, and that was it. No looking back. We're heading out. You're all looking at me. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you don't. Awesome. All right. Yeah, the cement pond. All right. So that was the first thought. Good thought. Second thoughts start coming in. What are the second thoughts? Okay, here's, here's one. Here's the second thought. <laughs> Jacob was about 130 years old. There's a practicality to this. These guys weren't living to be 900 anymore. So 130 was old. Like we get old. Okay, that, that's old. 130 years old, he's going to what? Get on a donkey? and ride to Egypt. Do you see a problem? Okay. So first thought is, I'm going to go see my son. Let's go. Second thought, I'm 130 years old. I don't even know if I can make the trip. That's a practical thought. What's another practical thought? You know, that he's unfit. He's weak. He's also concerned because Egypt represented... A bunch of things to them. It represented a real challenge to people's faith. It really did. Because the Egyptians had a strong religion. They had a strong faith system. And they expected the people who lived there to adapt and to adopt into what they believed. Because they were successful. They were rich. They performed engineering miracles that people couldn't figure out. I mean, I, can, I still remember, I was in college in engineering curriculum in the 80s, and we were still reading books trying to figure out how they built what they built thousands of years ago. Pretty messed up. All right, so they were wildly successful at what they did, and they had a very, very strong sense of who they were and what they believed. And they expected other people to come into line. And they did, usually. Because they looked at them and they said, these people are really super successful. They have money. They have land. They have uh, flocks and herds. They've accomplished things that we can't even imagine. They, like I said, people are still figuring out thousands of years later. Maybe they got something going on. And they're tempted to leave their faith to believe what they believed. And Jacob knew that. And he may have been concerned about his sons straying from their faith. It's one thing to maintain a faith when you're the only family for miles. Right? It's another thing to maintain a faith in a huge cosmopolitan center like that. Two different things. Two different animals going on there. And he only had to think of his own family. The Egyptian had been unfriendly to his grandfather. That had been true. His father had been forbidden to even go there in the scriptures. And so here he was heading there. That's kind of kind of weird. We can look those up real quick. Uh, Genesis twelve fifteen. If you look at that.
Is there something there? Genesis twelve fifteen. The princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. All right. So you have Abram and Sarah, and uh, they took his grandmother to Pharaoh's house. All right. And that, that had been half. So they were kind of unfriendly to them. Genesis twenty six two. So Isaac was forbidden to go to Egypt. So here you have you have the grandfather being treated not so great and the grandmother being treated not so great in Egypt. Then you have the father being forbidden to even go there. So there's a family history of really not going there and not really trusting it. And so the last word they got in his family was his father being forbidden to even go there. So there were. So first thought Okay, again, what was the first thought? Go. What was the second thought and the third thought and the fourth thought? It was, I'm old, I'm frail, I'm weak, I'm unfit, I don't know how strong my son's faith are. After all, they've been lying to him for 20 years, right? So how strong is their faith? Are they going to be able to make it? How, what are we, 70 people? How are we going to survive in this massive kingdom? How are we going to maintain our faith in this massive kingdom? Plus, I've got scripture backing it up that my dad was told not to go there. And my grandfather was treated poorly there. So, well, I've got all kinds of reasons not to go now. But what was the first thought? Go, go as quick as you can. Right? And, and so this, this shows us a process, a really human process, that's a part of our lives. That... that Sometimes, and I'm not saying every time, please don't hear me saying this every time. Sometimes, though, you get a word or you get a revelation or you get an understanding and it's the right one. And learning how to sift through that, how to test through that, and to hang on to what's good is powerful. It's powerful. You know, there's been times in my life where I, I'll just say whatever's there. And God has done some awesome things with that. Awesome things. And I and I I guess I could sit here all night and just share stories about that, but I, I want you to understand that there is something powerful about moving with the Spirit. And when the Spirit speaks or the Spirit reveals or the Spirit gives direction to just go. There's something really powerful about that. And I can also tell you stories about times that I've waited, and it's good that I waited. And so I'm not trying to lay down a doctrine of what to do. I'm just saying that there's a really human process that takes place that if we don't move on the first impulse, we can surely talk ourselves out of anything. You can talk yourself out of anything no matter how good or how clear or how perfect it is you can talk yourself out of it i can talk myself out of it because was he 130 years old yeah 
Was he frail and weak and, and probably unfit to travel all the way to Egypt on a donkey? Probably. That's probably all true. Did Egypt represent a lot of temptation they didn't have to face living on their farm in their pasture lands in Canaan? Yeah, it did. Everything that, that, he, was, that he was afraid of here was true. It wasn't like it was he's making it up. These are all real things. Was it really true that his grandfather was treated poorly and that his dad was forbidden to go there? That was really true too. So we're not talking about just making stuff up here. We're talking about actual things that were real. And so God's word to him is this, do not be afraid. And what that teaches me about this, and I, and I, I believe this to be the case, and I will lay this out there. If the only reason you're not going to do something for God is because you're afraid, that's a terrible reason, and it's unacceptable. That I will say. God says, do not be afraid. Don't. And so we need to fight that. That human response, we need to fight it. If it's fear-based especially, we really need to fight that. Ask God to fill us with his perfect love. Ask God to, to move on our hearts in his peace and his rest, to give him that fear and let him take care of it. So he goes on and he says this. He's like, don't be afraid. In other words, he recognizes the guy stopped. And the reason he stopped is because he was afraid and he wanted assurance. And so he's like, I'm God. I'm the God of your grandfather, your father. I'm faithful. Don't be afraid. And here's what his word to him was. I will make you a great nation. In other words, you grow. You will grow. And what do you mean by that? Well, 70 people are in his caravan heading to Egypt. 70. In 215 years, it'd be over 180,000. So they would grow from 70 to 180,000 in 215 <laughs> years. Literally, what he says there, I will make you a great nation. Literally, what he says is, for to a great nation, I will put you there. That's literally what he says to him. In other words, there's an emphasis on where this growth was going to take place. There was an emphasis on the fact that it needed to be there. And God was putting them, placing them, setting them into that place. That was important. That's an important distinction that this is all God. And that he's putting them there. And the reason he's putting them there is that they will be a great nation that he puts right in the midst of Egypt. Somebody read verse uh, Genesis 28.3. Genesis 28.3. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. All right. So there's a blessing that's being made over them in Genesis 28.3. They made it up to 70 by Genesis 46.3. Okay? And so what God was saying is, now, I'm going to put you into this place. I'm going to put you in this place. 
you're going to get huge. You're going to become a great nation when I put you there. Okay, Genesis 35, 11. Somebody read that. Genesis 35, 11. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you, and kings will be among your descendants. All right, thanks for reading that. Again, we get the fruitful and multiply thing, right? How about verse 14 down there? Jacob set up a stone pillar at the place where God had talked with him, and he poured out a drink offering on it, and he poured oil on it. So Israel himself had received this word. Be fruitful and multiply. And, and a group of nations will come from you, including kings and all kinds of good stuff. All right. So here was his opportunity, right? Am I missing this? You getting this? Here's the fulfillment. Seventy people. Is that a great nation? Nah. No. That's not a great nation. But here's God saying, I will put you in Egypt and make you a great nation. And that's in fulfillment the words he had already received. And fulfillment the words his forefathers had received is that they would be fruitful and that they would multiply and that they would be a great nation. Bigger picture. But he's afraid to go to Egypt. What's happening? What happens in your life when this happens? Hmm? Yeah? Definitely doubt. What goes on? Yeah. Did he really say that? Did he? For you will surely not today. Oh, oh, he forgot to say that. Yeah, the devil is clever, man. The devil is clever. The serpent is clever. But that's our temptation from the very start, right? We're quoting Adam and Eve here and the serpent in the Garden of Eden. Isn't this our temptation from the start? Yeah. This is it. Yep. Yeah, so God's saying, this is what I have for you. This is what I'm going to do. He said it all the way back in Genesis 28. He said it again, Genesis 35. Here we are in Genesis 46. He's still saying it. And, and we know as beyond a shadow of a doubt in these verses that he speaks to Jacob, he speaks to Israel, and he says, you're going to put you in Egypt, and that is where this is going to be fulfilled. That's how it's going to happen. Okay. And so then... The next thing he says to him is this. He says, I go with you. I. And the I there is emphatic. In other words, how you make something emphatic? How you do it? Sure. I, you know, hear your voice, go with you. Yeah, it's emphatic that God goes with them. And so, speaking of his blessing and, and speaking of his presence, and you know, he, he does this to reassure them. He does this to fulfill his word in them. He does this to encourage them. That's what he's doing. Thank you. 
Friday night I had the opportunity to uh, read through the 23rd Psalm. And uh, the way I set it up was there was a guy that he was telling a story about how he, he took an assistantship at Boston University. And uh, part of his assistantship, he had an opportunity to take classes. And so he took a class on the Bible. Now, Boston University is not a Christian school. It's, you know, whatever. And some of you that didn't go to Christian schools, you may have taken a Bible class while you were in school. And our school was called Bible is Literature. And Bible is Lit's a pretty common Bible course. And pretty much you just do a survey of the Bible. And it talks about the different types of writing styles are in the Bible. It talks about poetry and historical and and apocalyptic and all these different styles. And uh, it gives some kind of history and historical background. It talks about the authors and who they are traditionally. It talks about archaeology and some of the archaeology that lines up with what's in the Bible. I mean, there's all these different things. So they make it a course. It's a it's a typical college course. Well. This guy was saying he took this class. I don't know if he was auditing it or what, but uh, he was just part of the class, and they knew that he was a grad assistant, so he wasn't with the undergrads, but he was in the class. And so the professor came in, didn't say anything, just got to the front of the class and waited for everybody's attention to get on him. Just you know, a little chit-chat stop. Everybody's attention to turn toward him. Good, good, good. And then he just stood there and read the 23rd Psalm. But he didn't announce us what it was. He just said, okay, well, let me read the 23rd Psalm. Anybody want to read that for us real quick? I can get the voice to do it. Okay, yeah, great. <laughs> now just read it. Just read the 23rd Psalm. It's the whole thing. It's not that long. Next, we'll read Psalm 119. No. <laughs> Anyone? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides the waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so he just read that and just let it hang, and then asked the class, said, all right, well, who recognizes this poetry, and who can tell me where it comes from? No answer. First answer he got. That was the second answer he got. First answer he got, a girl raised her hand. Right? He's like, oh, yeah, where does it come from? She's like, Coolio. <laughs> and the professor, the professor's like, you know, kind of, he didn't know who that was, right? So he looked at the grad assistant. The grad assistant's like, <laughs> And so they explain, oh, it's a song. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Right, right, right. And they realize, you know, so they, they say, oh, it's from the movie Dangerous Minds or whatever. You know, they, they just kind of explained where it came from. And the guy's like, all right, all right. Anybody else? 
And somebody else raised their hand. They're like, oh, yeah, it's from that movie Pulp Fiction. It's uh, <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson's character. He used to say that before he, he uh, killed somebody. And first he looked at the grass and said, again, the rest is like, no, I don't think that's the that's what he said, but you know it's, it's the same you know idea though. Okay, all right, all right. <laughs> and so they just kept going, but the just the thought of it is that you know wow, um, the the kids didn't have any idea where that came from. But what was really interesting about it is that they were familiar with some of the lines from it. And how things like that permeate our society, even if we don't know where they come from. So uh, then the, I guess for the rest of the semester, the kids, every time something would come up that they were reading, they would mention, oh, this is in that song by Lauren Hill, or this is in that song by whoever it is. You know, or, or that's in that movie, or, or no, I saw this, and, and they would... They, they basically spent a semester figuring out that parts of the Bible are really kind of everywhere. Yeah, I mean, everywhere. Truthfully, yeah. So, um, this psalm, and the reason I bring it up, is if you read the psalm, the psalm talks about where you go at, during your life, right? I mean, I, I'm not going to quote the whole thing, though. It just says... It just talks about how you live, how we live. And the point of the psalm isn't that somehow God's going to keep you out of those places. Do you get it? He's not keeping you out of those places. He's not, he's not giving you a road around the valley of the shadow of death. He didn't give you the detour. He didn't, he didn't give you the trail that goes somewhere else. He, you go through the valley of the shadow of death. And the real point of the psalm isn't that you're going to avoid that by following his will. You're not going to avoid that by doing what he tells you to do. No, you're going to go through the midst of that. But the point of the psalm was that he is with you. That you don't have to fear evil. Even though you're in the midst of evil, you don't have to fear evil. Even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't have to fear evil. Because he's with you. And that's the point they're trying to make. Is is that the presence of Christ, the presence of God in the midst of darkness. The presence of God in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death. The presence of God in the midst of where evil is. Is enough. You don't have to fear. Because we're not told that we're not going to go through that valley. We're not told we're not going to face fearful situations. We're not told that we're, we're going to be living a life in such a way that we never have to face anything difficult, because we are. And so the, the point isn't that somehow we're, we're, we're immune to those things. The point is, is that God is with us in those things. And that was really his point as he's making his point to Israel here. That was his point to Jacob that he was trying to make when Jacob stopped for assurance he didn't give him assurance that everything was going to be awesome. He didn't give him assurance that everything was going to go their way. He didn't give him assurance that everything was going to work out just perfectly on their behalf. What he did say, though, and what was really important about what he said is like, I'm going with you. And it will be in this place that I'll fulfill my word to you. 
That's his presence. That's his blessing to them. Even in the midst of where they would end up. And where did I say they'd end up? What were we talking about? Egypt and slavery. Yeah. Egypt, slavery, and bondage. And I know we look at that and we talk about that in super negative terms, but that's exactly, exactly where God incubated and grew the nation of Israel. Was there. It's exactly where it happened. That's what he chose to do. That was his will. And that was his purpose. That in the fullness of time, when they had grown to the place where he decided that they should grow to, they left. And they went back to Canaan. The fullness of time. I'm not going to explain that. I don't think I need to. All I'm going to say is, is that that's how it works sometimes. That's how it works. I mentioned the other day, I don't remember where we were, probably church, how you know, we, we had a bunch of people that ended up following the call of God on their life out of the first campus I worked on. And, and, and what's really weird about that place is it was one of the more ungodly places I've ever been in my life. Where, uh, I mean, I joke about it now, but, I, and some of you might remember this, but I mean, I, I could sit at a, a literature table in a campus center, and the demon-possessed would come up to harass me during that time, just boldly. Uh, I had a kid following me around. I'd be in line at the dining hall, and he'd just start screaming at me in line at the dining hall. Who do men say that I am? And they're just yelling at me. I've been alive for 2,000 years. Who do you say that I am? <laughs> like yelling in my face. <laughs> this kid jumped off a second story. No, no. He landed on his feet like a cat. Yeah. They hauled him off eventually. Uh, like psychology-wise, psycho psychomologically-wise, you know, like uh, psychiatric. Strapped him down and hauled him out. Huh? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then, I don't know if you were around for this, when the kid busted into the meeting that we were having. We're just trying to have a meeting in the basement of the campus center. And I'm speaking. I think I was visiting, even. And I'd gone. I was gone already. I'd come back to visit, and I was teaching at the meeting. And this kid just busts through these glass doors. They didn't break, but they, like, slammed open super loud, ran right up the middle and just, uh, like, tried to take over the meeting. Yeah. But, but what I'm getting at is, like, that's where you incubate 
Yeah, it is actually. Apparently, that's where you incubate people that are going to work for you. That's where you incubate and you grow people that are going to go out and they're going to do whatever it is God has for them to do. That's where you, you grow up people that are unafraid. That's how you do it. And so I, I look at something like this story. It's like, yeah, if I hadn't have been in the middle of something like that, I might not understand this as well as I do. But I do understand it. I do understand that in Egypt, they were going to stay there until the fullness of time. And when God was done growing them into what they were to be, then they'd leave. It wasn't going to be easy. It wasn't going to be what they had hoped for. It wasn't going to be the dreams of their forefathers. It wasn't going to be any of those things. It was just his will and his time and his purpose for them. And he was with them. Period. Yeah. So defining, and I mean this, defining our spot with God. How he leads us and how he guides us. And defining that relationship with him about what we really expect. Be careful. Be careful not to put on him your happy place because that may not be his will for you. Don't put on him what you would prefer to have happen because maybe that's just not going to happen. Because what you don't want to do is when it comes down to it to judge him for doing his thing. And he does his thing and it works out awesomely if you'll allow it if you will allow it sure didn't work out great for Peter yeah except for the whole world was converted to Christ every nation on the face of the earth has heard the gospel at least once so it did work out continues to work out it's going to work out. Because that's what it is. You'll do more damage to your life trying to make it nice than you will accepting the will of God for your life. You will do more damage to your life trying to make your little petty ass dream come true. Petty butt dream come true. <laughs> than if you... We just accept what God has. And, and I, I know I can't convince you of that. I know I can't. But I'll say it. And I did. And, and as much as I would like to believe that you believe me, I know some of you don't. And I'm sorry. Because I know there's heartache and there's hurt ahead. Because you don't. It'll take a few minutes. Anybody have any comments or questions? A couple of you look like you're about to say something a couple times, so I want to give that opportunity. I, I don't want to close it down. Yeah.
wind up sitting ducks and the disaster comes to them. And it's even like Lot's wife, don't turn around and look back, but right. just turn around and look back if to her own detriment. Right. <laughs> yep. Couldn't do it. Couldn't just walk away from that. Right. 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 Yeah, it, the the number of situations in my life that are resolved because I'm obedient in a moment is awesome. And every time that happens, I think to myself that I'm such a big idiot for not just living that way. Especially among people who are so afraid they won't do anything, you know, afraid to be wrong, I guess I'm trying to say. Yeah. Because there's culture, that's church culture. Everybody's afraid to be wrong. Right. So they don't do anything. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a good word. Anybody else? All right, let's pray. Father, thanks for uh, just, you love us and you're with us. Thank you that you're God, and that means you're powerful. You're great. You're greatly to be praised, and you're faithful. You've been faithful, and you're going to be faithful, so I thank you for that. I just want to say thanks that uh, we don't have to live in fear. But you, you give us a perfect love that casts out fear. Because we have a Father that loves us and is caring for us and wants the best for us. And I thank you for that. I thank you that as we can receive that kind of love in our life, really the, the fear that seems so big sometimes diminishes in the face of that kind of love. And I thank you for that kind of love. I thank you that you've cared for us and that you continue to care for us. That we have a history with you of you loving us and of you wanting the best for our lives. Even if we can't always see it or understand it, it's real. And it's happened. 
and it's going to continue to happen. And so, God, I ask that we'd find rest in that and we'd find some peace in that in the hours and the days ahead. God, I thank you that you fulfill your word in our life. For some of us, you, you've spoken things over us. For most of us, you've spoken things over us. And that you're a God who fulfills his word. And so I ask you that we would trust you in that. That when we, we have our doubts, we have our doubts. But you're faithful. I thank you that when we can't see it, you can see it. And you're faithful. I thank you that when we're afraid, you have the answer to that. You have your love being poured out into us, and you are faithful. So thanks, God, for your word over us. I pray we'd find comfort in that. Comfort in a future that you have in your hands. Comfort in, in a, presence that, a present that, God, you're right in the midst of. So, God, thanks for being with us. Thanks for being close to us. Thanks for blessing us. Thanks for reassuring us. Thanks for encouraging us. Thanks for you fulfilling your word to us that no matter where we go in life, there you are. God, the valley of the shadow of death, you're there. God, when we are around evil, we're not to fear it because you're there. And so, God, no matter what our our, our destination or what our path or where it is you lead us through or that place we find ourselves in, God, there you are in the midst of it all. And I thank you we don't have to live in fear. We don't have to live in fear. But we can find trust and rest and peace in you. So God, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, Forgive us if we've judged you. Forgive us if we have somehow rejected your word over us. But I thank you that today is a new day. Tomorrow is a new day. And you are right here right now. I pray that you would set us on the path that you have for us. We give you thanks. Praise. Honor. Fill us, God. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.